Welcome to the Christian Life Austin Wednesday evening message. Tonight's sermon is entitled Elijah Part 3 by Lead Pastor Rex Johnson. Tonight we're on Elijah one more time. We're going to study Elijah one more time tonight. Amen. What a great man. Everybody says he's a great man of God. You know, he had to be pretty powerful because it was he and Moses that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration. He had to be a pretty powerful old boy, you know. Moses considered the greatest leader. Elijah considered the greatest prophet. Moses, in fact, was the humblest man that ever walked on the earth. You know how I know that? Because Moses told me he was. Moses wrote that. I'm not afraid to be talk about humility. You can be humble. And talk about it because it's a strength. Humility doesn't mean you duck your shoulders and act like you just don't want to be here. You're just so ashamed. You're just so humble. That's fear. Humility is when you know who God is in your life. You know, Eliab couldn't be anointed because he had pride. God will never anoint pride. But he anointed David. And David, with a slingshot, ran out into the valley of Elah and took a giant's head off. He was a humble boy because God resisteth the proud. But he gave grace to the humble. Isn't that an amazing thing? So I'm going to talk about Elijah tonight, and we're going to talk about a different Elijah. He was a powerful man. He did powerful stuff. We're going to talk about a different Elijah tonight. Take somebody by the hand and say, Pastor, preach to us tonight. Let the word touch my heart. Let it change my heart. Preach the word to us. Let it touch my mind. Let it change my mind. Preach the word to us. Let me leave here. Different person. What I was when I came in. Now clap your hands real big. One time a professor had a class full of freshmen from all over the world, and he asked them, what's the opposite of joy? And a gal from China raised her hand, and she said, the opposite of joy is sadness. The professor said, that's right, absolutely. Then he said, what's the opposite of depression? guy from France raised his hand and said, the opposite of depression, that's elation. The professor said, you're absolutely right. And then he asked the question, what's the opposite of woe? A guy from Texas said, well, I suppose the opposite of woe would be giddy up. (laughs) And the opposite of elation is depression. That's what I am right now because some of you didn't laugh at that joke. You thought it was too corny. (laughs) I'm going to talk about, I'm going to talk about depression tonight in the life of a man of God. I'm going to talk about that word tonight, that word that we don't like, that D word that we don't like, who had just had his greatest victories ever on Mount Carmel, and he came down to a low point in his life. First Kings chapter 19, verse 1 through 3 says, And Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a message to Elijah to say, May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow... I do not make your life like one of them. She said, I'm going to kill you just like you killed them. 
And, he, and she's referring to dead false prophets. In other words, she said, I'm going to kill you. You're going to be a dead man of God tomorrow. Verse 3, Elijah was afraid and he ran for his life. Wait a minute. Now, wait a minute. This is confusing to me. If you think back to all that God had done in his life, let's backtrack so you remember what we're talking about. Ahab was an evil king, the 19th consecutive evil king. He had done more evil in God's eyes than any of those kings before him. He had become kind of whoosh, though, toward the end of his reign or whatever you want to call it, this kind of whooshy. He literally handed the leadership of, to his evil wife Jezebel and said, I don't really want to do this anymore. I'm kind of whooshing out on you. And so Jezebel steps in and takes over. And if you missed the last two weeks, I spoke two weeks ago and Brad spoke last week. When you hear what God has done and what Elijah does, it makes you say, what? Really? And really when we look at our own self and we see what God has done and where God has brought us. Some of us slip into depression. It makes me want to go, what? Really? Ahab, first week, had turned the hearts of the people away from Jehovah to those false prophets. So God raised up this prophet called Elijah to stand down the king and, it, and, 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 and say, it's not going to rain until I tell God and ask God to cause it to rain. And it didn't rain for three and a half years, 42 months, not at all. Then God takes Elijah to this place of cutting called Kareth Ravine where he's chopped down, he's humbled in the season of hiding and God miraculously provides for him. With the death warrant against him, God sends ravens to drop meat and bread, red meat, chicken, whatever. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise God. From heaven on high, meat and bread. And then he's watered by a brook during that time of drought where there's no rain. And this brook comes and God nourishes him and he learns to depend on God. Then one day the brook dries up and God brought him out of the Kirith ravine to a place called Zarephath there, which means a place of fire where he met a widow who had just a little bit of oil and a little bit of flour and it wasn't enough. So she thought she was going to die and God miraculously, because she prepared a cake for the man of God first, it never did run out and God showed up again. And then one day that same widow's son died and for the first time ever recorded in scripture, folks, Elijah takes a dead boy up to an upper room and prays and God raises that boy from the dead. All the time he is in this thing with Ahab about rain. And Elijah is looking on going, God is faithful, God is good, God is powerful. And God is worth serving. Amen? Amen? And then after a season of hiding where there's been no rain, God calls Elijah back to go confront the king, Ahab, again. And he said, hey, bring your false prophets. There's going to be a showdown coming. I want you to get your 450 false prophets of Baal and your 400 prophets of Asherah. And I want you to bring them to Mount Carmel. And we're going to see who the real God is. I love this story. And if it's your God's, the sun God, or if it's the one true God. And so they both built a couple of altars, put bulls on it. And, and those prophets of Baal and prophets of Asherah said, hey, fire come down. After all, Baal was the sun God. May your God send fire. And all the false prophets do this dance. And they do this little herky-jerky, funky chicken. And they cut themselves, and it goes on all day long, and nothing happens. 
So Elijah says, he's over there mocking them. Maybe, maybe your God's going to the bathroom. Maybe he's taking a break. Maybe he's asleep. Perhaps he's on vacation. Maybe he's just thinking about something and don't have time to talk to you. Man, I don't know where he is. But then when it comes to Elijah's turn, after they had spent all day, it was a time of the evening sacrifice now. Elijah puts that bullock on the altar and they bring 12 barrels of water and pours it over it. He soaks it down real good. They've been in a drought, folks, and he gets water up there and pours it on that sacrifice. Then he prays a 63-word prayer. 63 words. It doesn't take all day to touch the throne of God. Do you hear me? And it burns up everything. It licks up the sacrifice. It licks up the altar. It licks up the wood. It licks up the water. It brings everything down. And then last week, he goes to a mountain to pray. This is what Brother Brad taught you. And he said, God, send the rain. God, send rain. He had a servant. He said, go check and see if you see a cloud. And the man went six times. But on the seventh time he went, he came back. He said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Hallelujah. You know what a man's hand represents, don't you? A hand and five fingers, which means a five-fold ministry. Amen? Man, we have the apostles. You can't grip anything without the doctrine of the apostles. You have the prophets that point. You have the pastors that lead. That's the longest finger. You have you have uh, 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 the evan- uh, evangelists. You have you have uh, pastors and you have teachers, and all these things have to be in place. And when they're in place, get ready. The rain's coming. When God has His ministry in place, when God has the church in place, the rain's coming. It's coming. And Elijah tells Ahab, you better get in the chariot and run on down to Jezreel because I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And here's what's so awesome. Elijah went running 17 miles from the top of Mount Carmel all the way to Jezreel. And he outran the chariots of Ahab. The old boy was in shape. (laughs) Let me tell you something. He went running in the rain. I just, I just want to stop and say, anybody ever, when you was a kid, run in the rain? Is that the most fun thing you've ever done in your life? Pull your shoes off, roll your britches up if your mama didn't put short britches on you that day. Roll your pants up and start running through the mud and running in the rain and just doing this. Is that the most fun thing you've done in a while? Can you remember as a kid? Some of you don't remember as a kid because you want to be old and adult. But I remember when I was a kid. And it's the greatest thing in the world. You know what sometimes we ought to do in church? We ought to get so giddy about the presence of God. We ought to get so happy about what God's doing. We ought to just hold our tongue out and say, come on, God, let the rain fall. Ha! Let the rain fall. And we need to do some running in the rain, not physically around this church. We need to have revival like never before. We need to see souls brought in. We need to get so excited that we can't sit down. The rain is a falling. Wow, if you'll help me tonight, I'll preach to you. So God brought miraculous provision. He brought miraculous protection. He brought a miraculous blessing. He was a miraculous God. And over and over again for years, he had seen the faithfulness of God. Then one day a woman says, I'm going to kill you. And he wigs out, he freaks. He panics and he runs for his life. Now, for the next little while, I'm going to to teach you four easy ways to get depressed. 
four easy ways. You might want to write these down. It's pretty easy stuff, but I'm going to, I want you to write them down. We find this in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 3 and 4. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba in Judah and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the desert. Oh, that's a great place to go when you're needing some help. And came and sat under a broom tree, a juniper tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. I wrote in my notes, very interesting. You remember Colonel Clink from Hogan's Heroes? Very interesting. Let me be a little goofy tonight. He had just had this great victory. He had just had fire come down. The rain had just come and washed Israel clean. And now he's praying his life would end. And he prays, I have had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. He lays under a tree and falls asleep. How to get depressed in four easy steps. Number one, the first thing to get depressed with is you just wear yourself out. You know, it's amazing, folks. We're still mortal, and we do get tired. The reason I slipped away a couple of days last week because I was a little physically and mentally exhausted. I was tired. We get tired. Over the past few years, he had been on this massive spiritual battle, folks. 42 months. Now, you've got to get this. 42 months. He's trusting God. He's praying. He's trusting God. He's praying. He's seeking God. He's praying. He's trusting God. He's in a battle with faith, a battle, faith, battle. And then he runs for his life. He's been battling. And geographically, he couldn't have run any further than what he did. He ran to the very southern tip, left his servant there, and went another day's journey out into the desert. He went as far as he could, and he was totally and physically exhausted, much like many of us get in our lives. So we wonder, why am I depressed? Well, you've worn yourself, used to use this word, plumb out. You've wore yourself out. Some moms, you're working a full-time job, you're taking care of the house, you're putting dinner on the table, you're carting your kids all over the world, involved in the PTA, involved in the church, you're wondering, oh, woo-loo-loo-loo-loo, why am I so weary? Some students, you're in the building tonight, you're in a killer semester, and you took 18 hours, and you shouldn't have took but about 13. And you're working a full-time job, and you're involved in a fraternity, you're playing a sport, and you're coming off of this time, and you're going, why am I so depressed? You're wearing yourself out. It's just practical teaching. This ain't nothing that you can start, start speaking in tongues over. It's just practical. <laughs> Some of you, it's not just physical exertion, but it's all up here. It's, it's like, I've got this... I've got to be there for them. I've got to make sure that they're covered. I've got to be strong for everybody. I've got to be a provider. I've got to help nurture them. It's all going on. And you're exhausted. You're totally worn out. The second way to have depression, very easy, you shut people out. Isn't it amazing? Elijah abandoned his closest friend, his servant. He said, you stay here. I'm going there. And he went another day's journey. And quite honestly... That's what a lot of us do when we get overwhelmed. We say, I'm not going to let anybody in, even you, wife, even you, husband. I'm going to have this pity party by myself. I'm not going to share what I'm going through. If I did, you wouldn't understand anyway. So we wall up and we start to push people away. I have found myself in my ministry. I'm doing better with that. Sometimes when I'm worn out, when I'm hurting, 
just to put a wall up. I mean, I'm a pastor. I'm going through this thing with myself. I can get through it. You wouldn't even understand what I'm going through anyhow because pastors are on a different mindset many times than people are that they pastor because we worried about you all the time. And so we start to stiff arm people. We start to get pressed. You wear yourself out, then you shut people out. And it's not even pastors. It's job. It's, it's superintendents on jobs. It's people that work on jobs. It's people that go to school. You get yourself wore out, then you shut people out. And if you don't watch yourself, you're going to get in this pity thing. And we're not going to be able to reach you, and we're going to love you with all of our heart, and you're going to walk by us and snap at us when we try to come into your world. I've been there. Number three, easy way to get depressed. You focus on the negative. You wear yourself out. You shut people out. And you focus on the negative, which is exactly what our hero, the man of God, in this great, at great faith did. What did he say? He said, I've had enough. I'm no better than my ancestors. You know, nobody was even asking him if he was better than his ancestors. <laughs> there wasn't nobody there arguing with him. Well, whatever you say, Elijah. That's what self-pity does. It exaggerates. It makes you think that you're not worth anything. Anybody agree with that? I'm never going to be any good. I'm always going to be stuck in this life. My life never going to get any better. I'm never going to get to that, into that school after this grade. I mean, I'm never going to get the promotion. I, my kids are never going to come to Christ. I, I, I never, never. And after that ice cream I just ate, I can never button those jeans that I want to wear. Right? It's just exaggeration. It's focusing on the negative. It's all the bad things and none of the good things. You want to get depressed? Here it is, man. You wear yourself out, you shut others out, and you focus on the negative. And the fourth way to get depressed, real simple, you just have a need to forget God. You start forgetting God, which is exactly what many of us do. I mean, imagine this. Look at what we saw in the life of Elijah. Supernatural protection and provision. Birds, folks. Ravens feeding him. Water from a brook during a drought. Raising the dead. Fire from heaven. Rain from heaven. Oh, God, you're not coming through for me. Really? Really? You know what an old pastor told me one time? He said, when you just preach, when you're preaching from the bottom of the barrel, when you're preaching from the bottom of the barrel, just reach back and remember what God did for you. And preach just like you've just had that miracle in your life. And I promise you, if you'll preach reaching back, you'll reach forward and find one greater than you've had reaching back. Because God is not going to leave you alone. But what we do many times, we forget that God has brought us here. Oh, somebody needs to shout the victory right now. We need to understand that the God that gave us the miraculous power to get here is not going to leave us now. I love that song. He didn't bring us this far to leave us. He didn't teach us to swim to let us drown. He didn't build a home in us to move away. He didn't lift us up to put us down. God's not some Gestapo of the sky. The badge is not the morning star, and the thunder's not his voice, and lightning's not his rod of correction. That's not who God is. God's a God that's there. Anybody look back on the faithfulness of God in your life? Anybody? Anybody? Has he always been there? Has he always been there? Has he provided? Has he comforted? Was he a strength? Was he everything you needed?
So you don't need to get depressed in this moment. But when you're down many times, you forget the faithfulness of God. Simple stuff. How to get depressed in four easy steps. Everybody say, wear yourself out. Shut people out. Focus on the negative. And flat out forget God. Put that on your refrigerator. Let's talk about some answers now. I'm not going to leave you there. Because quite frankly, many of you were here tonight. You need to hear a word to you from God. And I trust I can be a messenger for you. God's speaking directly to you because maybe you're a little blue. Maybe you're full-blown depression. Maybe you're in a place of hopelessness. And the good news is God wants to speak to you tonight. That's what I call God's prescription for depression. Elijah didn't have any hope. He's hiding out. He's wanting to die. But watch this. Oh, this is so tough. This is so bad. God sends an angel to represent himself. And I want you to notice what God does not do through this angel. There's no sermon. Ah! He didn't preach to Elijah. There's no rebuke. There's no shame. God knows we're human. He remembers that we're just dust. He knows what we're made of. And he knows we're going to doubt sometime and we're going to have fear sometimes. He knows that. But he never has those in us. He believes in us. There's no shame. The angel's not saying, oh, you, if you had more faith, if only you could memorize more Bible verses. You could quote some more Bible verses. Quit acting like a baby. There's nothing negative from that angel. And the very first thing that the angel of the Lord says, if you are taking notes, is this. He said, eat and rest. Oh, I like that prescription. You know, I told Patty one time, a long time ago, I said, Patty, when I get happy, I want to eat. When I have down times, I want to eat. When I'm at a funeral, I want to eat. I just have to tell you, folks, when I, when I do a funeral, one of the blessings of doing a funeral is coming back and watching people go have fellowship and eating. And I get right in there with them, roll my sleeves up and eat with them. Because there's nothing greater for grief than to eat. This is a God prescription. This is not a path. This is God's prescription. When you're depressed, when you're down, when you're crying, when you're weeping, go get something to eat. Go to Sonic on Tuesday, two for the price of one. Come on. Go get you something to eat. Pastor, that's not spiritual. That's as spiritual as I can get. If you had not had bluebell in a while, go get you some bluebell. If you had not had a root beer floating in a while, go get you some. Eat and rest. That's what he told him. Boy, that's deep, isn't it? Eat and rest. The very first part of the prescription for our depression is to eat. Everybody say eat, eat. and rest. Amen. Right in the middle of verse 5, he said, all at once the angel touched him and said, get up and eat. Good night. And not only that, in verse 6, Elijah looked around, there was a, and there by his head was a cake of bread, this angel food cake. <laughs> God. Baked over hot coals. There was a jar of water. So he ate and he drank and he laid down again. Who I love God's prescription for depression. 
I love the way God provides food all the time. I'm a big fan of food. And that just makes me thankful. The scripture said he ate. I love this. I'm going to keep driving home. And he drank. And he lay down again. Everybody say eat. Eat. And rest. Rest. When I was in my 30s, I was a a youth president for a a large organization. And and I traveled 225 days a year. And and I'm so glad it didn't challenge our marriage. I had a very faithful wife and a loving wife and my kids. I remember coming home sometime in Cassidy. Our second born, the second born in our home, uh, would hide behind a chair because she didn't recognize me. I'd been gone so long. But I I, I did something to my body. I I burned out when I was in my 30s. And one day on a plane from Florida to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I I think it's because I didn't want to go to Pittsburgh because I hated the Steelers. (laughs) (laughs) They'd beat us in the the 70s in the Super Bowl, and I didn't like them. And I landed in Pittsburgh. I'd passed out on the plane. When I came to, they had oxygen on me. I had a doctor sitting beside me, thank God. And I was crying. I was homesick. I called Patty. I said, I, I'm so frustrated. I want to come home. But I couldn't go home. I had, to, I had an appointment that night. I had an engagement. I had to speak in West Virginia. So I went to the doctor when I got home. And I thought it was medical. I thought I had an electrolyte problem. I thought I had a, perhaps an a anemia problem. I didn't know what it was. I thought it was medical. When I went to the doctor, he looked at me and he said, Son, you're as robust and healthy as anybody. You know what I want you to do? I want you to go home for two weeks and not do anything but eat and rest. The doctor told me that. And I said to myself, I believe I've read that before. <laughs> so when we got home, <laughs> I got the Bible out and I found it and I said, Patty, I want you to feed me, honey, for two weeks. And when I feel like taking a nap, I'm going to take a nap. He said, Preacher, the most spiritual thing you can do right now is go eat and go get you some rest. Don't need to go to another camp. Don't need to preach another meeting. Don't need to read another Bible verse. But the spiritual thing you can do is eat and rest. In fact, perhaps one of the most disobeyed commands in the Word of God is for us to rest. We push ourselves. I'm going to preach to you now. We push ourselves because we're chasing that thing called green, that almighty dollar. Like we can't do with $50 less this week and take and go home and be with family and rest and kick your feet up on the couch. Come on now. And maybe watch a little football game. I know I'm, I'm, I'm trying to preach y'all lazy, but I'm not really trying to preach you lazy. But we are, we're working in burnout molds sometimes in our families. And that's not the will of God. Sometimes you need to relax. The Bible said remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There's sometimes you're going to have to rest. The Bible says six days shall a man labor, he shall rest. You need to rest. You don't need to be running all the time. You don't need to be running to and fro. You don't have to go to every one of those things. You don't have to want to go to every one of those deals. You need to stay and rest and eat. I promise you it's amazing how that will bless you. And the angel came around, verse 7, 8, the second time, touched him and said, get up and eat again. Well, the journey is too much for you. So Elijah got up, ate, and drank again. He just kept eating this day. Eat, take a nap. Eat, take a nap. Eat, take a nap. Now check this out. Strengthened by the food and certainly by the rest, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the Mount of God. And it was on this mountain that many Bible scholars believe where God gave the Ten Commandments to Moses. Now watch this. Basically, he said, eat, rest, and go to church. What you do? What you do? 
But, Pastor, you don't understand. We got bills to pay. Yeah, I know that. I know that. But you don't need to make any more right now because some of you are stressing yourself out and you're getting depressed over it because you can't catch up. The harder you run, the behinder you get. And it's time to understand that there's times that you just need to back off and say, baby, let's go get us a hamburger. The second thing to battle depression is let God replace our lies with his truth. Amen? It's going to speak to some of you. God replaces our lies, the lies we're believing with his truth. First Kings chapter 9, verse, uh, First Kings 9. There Elijah went to, into a cave and spent the night. This is verse 9. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? Let's just pause here and acknowledge this. That God already knew where Elijah was and what he was doing there. God was not going, Hmm, I'm wondering, where can this Elijah be? Where's Waldo? Where can he be? Where is he hiding? God already knew that. God wanted Elijah to voice his problem, to verbalize whatever lies he was believing so God could correct the lies. What are you doing here, Elijah? In verse 10, he replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. That's a true statement. Then Elijah said, the Israelites have rejected your covenant. That's a true statement. Then he said, they've broken down your altars. That's true. And he put your prophets to death with a sword. That's true. Then he said, I'm the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me. That's a lie. I've been doing all the work. That's a lie. I'm the only one who cares. That's a lie. I'm the only one who can get it done. That's a lie. He owned more responsibility than he was actually his. He had done what God had asked him to do, and he thought he was supposed to do everything. And there's no one who cares like me, he said. Everybody's dependent on me. I'm all alone. Nobody understands. But if you read in this story, God's actually going to say, well, Elijah, they're really, truthfully, there's seven thousand other Israelites. Elijah, there's 7,000 more that hadn't bowed their knee to Baal. There's 7,000 more that hadn't bowed their knee to the God of Asherah. 7,000. Nobody, you're not by yourself. It's time for you to let your lies that you tell yourself when you're going through this be turned around by the truth of what God really is in your world. You understand that? There's no reason for you to say, God, you don't love me anymore. Don't ever say that to God. There's one thing you better ever remember. God loves you from the top of your head to the sole of your feet. And there's number two you better remember. He is for you. He is for you. And third thing, he is with you tonight. 7,000. We've got to replace the truth, the lie with the truth. They're all still seeking me and praying. Don't believe the lies. You're not the only one. You're not the only one. Don't believe the lies. Don't believe your marriage can never be healed. Don't believe your kid can never be saved. Don't believe that. Don't believe that the medical report you got 30 days ago is going to be fatal. Nothing's too hard for God. Amen? Don't believe the lie. Believe God's truth. I'm never going to have an intimate relationship. I'm going to be all alone for the rest of my life. I'm stuck with this dead-end job. I've got no real ministry. I can't make a difference. My husband's never going to believe in Christ. I'm always going to feel alone. God, take those lies and replace them with the truth. The Bible said we've got to take every thought. Say, take every thought. Captive. And make it obedient to Christ. You need to read your mind the Miranda Act. You have the right to remain silent. 
and anything you say can and will be used against you in the court of grace. Hallelujah. It's time to understand that we are God's, oh, I could preach right now, we are God's kids. I belong to him. He is, a, he, he is in my life. He's for me. He's with me. He's taking me somewhere. I may have a bump in my life every now and then. I may have something I have to climb up on every now and then. But I'm here to tell you I'm going to wake up in the morning knowing without a shadow of a doubt that he is my God. I am his kid. He is my rock. And there's no rock like our rock. No God like our God. He is all in all. Amen. 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 And the third thing God does is he speaks in a still, small voice. He don't holler when you're going through depression. He don't say, you lousy thing. He don't talk negative. He says, eat and rest. He replaces all your lies with truth, and he speaks in a still, small voice. Now, you remember Elijah was used to dealing with the God of fire and the God of miraculous power and provision, and so he goes to meet with God, and he's probably thinking, okay, he's going to show up with this big honking earthquake. He's going to come with this huge fire, this great wind. And in verse 11, the Bible said, the Lord said to him, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountain apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Say, he wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Say, he wasn't there. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Say, not there. But after the fire came a gentle whisper. It's amazing. When we get at our lowest sometime, God can speak his softest to us and tell us, you're not alone. You ever notice that? You're never alone. Sometimes it's just a word. It may, may not be much, may not be loud, but it's always enough. A gentle whisper, just a voice. And here's what I take so much comfort in today, and I wrote this in my notes just for you, is that I know there are times, there are those of you that are here, and you're hurting. And I don't find any confidence in you taking anything from my words. I really don't. But I know that through my words, and between my words, and behind the words God has given me, and in my words, God can and will speak to you. If you listen closely enough, you may just hear that still small voice that says, I'm here. I'm with you. I'll never leave you. You're not alone. I am enough. The still small voice of God still speaks today. And I close. Let me Randy. And then the fourth thing, the fourth way to get out of depression is simply this. God gives us something to do. You got to get up and you got to go do something. To overcome depression, God said, eat and rest, replace the lies with truth. And he speaks in a small voice, still small voice. And he gives us a divine assignment. Now watch this. In verse 15, 16, the Lord said to Elijah, go back the way you came. Go over the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king of Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel, Meholah. To succeed you as a prophet. In other words. Go back to what. To doing what prophets do. 
I believe the Spirit of the Lord will speak to many of you today and say, there's something yet for you to do. You feel down, you feel blue, you feel hopeless, you feel afraid, you feel unsure, you've lost your confidence, you don't see it, and God may say, if you're still alive, you're not done. I remember used to talking to my mom. I love my mom, and I, I, I miss her. I miss her. I miss her some days drastically. But I remember talking to her. She'd go to crying, and she'd say, Son, I just don't think I'm any good for this world anymore. I said, Mom, if it was time for you to go, if it was time for you to go, God would already took you. You've got to work here. I don't care if you're 80 or 8 years old. It doesn't matter anything in between. If you're alive, God's got something for you to do. Amen. 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 If you're a mom, do what a mom's supposed to do. If you're a business person, do what a business person should do. If you're a person of prayer, do what a person of prayer should do. Do you have the gift of serving? Do you have the gift of giving? Go back and do what God's called you to do. And watch as he brings real life out of you again because God's got an assignment for you. He's got an assignment for you. Check this out. God gave Elijah a gift. You know what it was? He gave him a young man who believed in him. When that mantle touched Elisha, he went back and wasn't a word spoken he went back and said just wait just a minute he went back and killed 12 yoke of oxen killed everything he had that could make him a living he followed after the man of God now watch this now now watch this you've got to get this because I've never I've never seen this before and I, I want to share something with you it's going to make you happy to leave here today and he walks after Elijah and he follows him and Elijah said what do you follow me for he takes him Takes him Gilgal, takes him to Bethel, takes him Jericho to the Jordan. What are you doing here? Why are you following me? He said, what are you seeking? He said, I want a double portion. Not of your miracles. Not of your church. I want a double portion of your spirit. Now you, got, now you got to get this now. You got to get this now. Just a few days ago, he was wanting to die. And here's a man who wants a double portion of that spirit. You think he wanted a double portion of a dying spirit? No. He wanted a double portion of a man that had touched him and he felt the presence of God. Because he understood that when a man gets up out of depression and does what God wants him to do, anything he touches has the power of God in it. The power of God on it. Because he's obedient. He's obedient. Now you got to get this. You got to get this. Here it comes. Here it comes. Here comes. Here comes. The, here comes the pretty part. Here comes the beautiful part. Guess what? He said, "If you see me when I go away, maybe tomorrow." And he's thinking, "His head maybe tomorrow, because I've anointed you now. Maybe tomorrow. It was it was ten long years. Maybe tomorrow, but it wasn't tomorrow. He was thinking, I may die today." But you've got to be there to be with me. If you see me when I go, if you're there at the chopping block when she takes my head off, no, no, no. If you see me when I go, you'll get that double portion. Now watch this. What was the thing Elijah feared the most? Dying to the hand of Jezebel.
God took him out. He was one of the only two men who never saw death that God translated. Get that. You got to get that in your head. You got to get that in your head. The thing that he feared the most, God put it behind him so much that he didn't even let him lay down to die. He just said, I'm going to take you out of here because I know what your worst fear is and I'm going to alleviate your worst fear. I'm going to take you to heaven right here today. Send back that mantle and let the man of God that you have anointed pick it up. Let him do twice the miracles. But I'm not going to let you see death. Can I see? Can you see what I'm saying? It's time for us to get up. If we have those depressions in our life, get up. Because the thing that you fear may be the greatest blessing that God has for you in your life. It may be the greatest thing God ever poured out on you in your life. Some of you thinking you're going to die of a disease. You may be given a testimony someday that said, God healed me. God touched me. God turned my life around. Because the thing he feared the most, God delivered him from. His greatest fear he never experienced his greatest fear God sent a chariot of fire took him away he never had to experience his greatest fear amen hallelujah when you feel you're wearing yourself out take a little break just take a little break get you something to eat get you a little rest amen don't push people away don't isolate yourself let God speak to you. Let him touch your heart. Because the thing you're fearing, Job said, the thing I fear the most has come upon me. The thing you're fearing, God wants to help you and get you rid of that. Get that out of your system, out of your soul. I'll never see Elijah the same because the thing that he feared was dying. And instead of dying, he got to fly. He got to fly. He got to soar with evil. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit clcaustin.com.